All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. Today we are flying solo. We've been having some technical issues this week with my phone, so I haven't been able to do any calls with anybody. Um, but today we're going to be flying solo, and we're kind of going to do like a hunting 101. Um, we're not going to go super in-depth on every topic, but we're just kind of kind of brush the surface, get you thinking about things, because now is that time if you're planning on getting into hunting and wanting to do that Come next hunting season, now is the time to start thinking about that and start researching that. But before we get into all that stuff, if you guys want to check out the podcast on social media, again, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. And then my personal is c.dillashaw. But without any further ado, we're going to kind of get into the hunting 101. All right, guys, so hunting 101. So if you're just starting hunting, you've never hunted before. Hunter's Ed is something you need to look into. Now, one, you need to figure out, one, if your state even requires it. Some states do, some states do not. Um, If your state does require it, figure out kind of how they go about it. Um, Some states require like an in-person course. Um, Some do it all online. Some do a little bit of both. So figure out what that is. Um, I know Nevada, the state that I'm from, it's all online now. Um, I'm pretty sure Utah is all online now. But I know there are still some states out there that require you to go into a classroom for at least part of, if not the whole, Hunter's Ed course. Now, some states do offer incentives, even if they don't require the Hunter's Ed, they offer incentives for doing it. Arizona is one of those states. If you go and do the Hunter's Ed course in Arizona, um, I believe that requires an in-person part as well. Uh, You're going to get a point going into that draw that stays with you forever. So even if you draw a tag, you don't lose that point. So you always have at least one point going into the draw. Now in Arizona, so many people have done that, that doing that point just kind of gets you to the same playing field as everybody else. If you don't have that point, you're kind of a step behind everybody else going into the draw. Um, But we'll kind of get into points in the whole draw system later. Um, And then with Hunter's Ed, just make sure you give yourself enough time to be able to do the course. Don't do what I did which was wait until the last minute, not knowingly. I didn't knowingly wait till the last minute, but by the time I got around to researching it, there was only about a week left or so before the deadline to put in my draw application. So at the time I did my draw or my hunter's ed, it was a kind of a paper booklet that you had to fill out, and then you went into an in-person course. And thankfully there was still enough time to get that in-person course done. I actually did that in-person course on the last day I could put in my draw application. Um, so I ended up putting my draw in my draw application within the last few hours waiting for my hunter's head to get approved. Um, but so just make sure you give yourself enough time to start researching your hunter's head requirements right now and any other requirements that are out there. I believe there's some states that require some special permits and all that if you want to do some archery hunting or things like that. So just make sure you have all your requirements filled out on the legal side. Make sure you have all your all the stuff you need. Now we kind of got to think about what type of hunt do we want to start researching? What do we want to, you know, if we don't have any equipment, whether it be a bow, a muzzleloader, or a rifle, what do we want to try and draw a tag for? For What are we interested in doing? Um, So let's kind of go into archery first. That's more my specialty, my somewhat of expertise. Um, So archery, between the three of them, archery is going to take the most amount of practice. If you plan on archery hunting, if you want to archery hunt by next hunting season, I would recommend you go to an archery shop right now and buy a bow. Now, you don't spend a ton of money on a bow. You can buy an entry-level bow, 
That'll get you out there hunting, or you can step up to kind of that mid-level bow. You don't have to go out there and spend $3,000 on a complete top-of-the-line bow set up right now. Um, but if you want to archery hunt, I would go to your archery shop and get you something that's going to be good enough for hunting within your budget. Because um, archery does take the most amount of practice out of the three to be proficient with that I would feel comfortable telling somebody that they can go out and hunt. For most people, I would say probably six months or so. Um, at the very least, three months before you're kind of proficient, you know, enough to be able to go out and hunt and actually know what you're doing out to, the, you know, those 40, 50, 60 yards. Um, but to be really, really good and confident behind the bow, I'd probably say that six months to a year. That's why I'm recommending go out to your archery shop right now um, and at least try out some bows and start that process of maybe buying a bow. Um, now with archery tags, a lot of archery tags are a lot easier to get in most states. Um, Nevada is one of those states. Um, it's very easy to get archer tags if you are a Nevada resident, at least for deer. Um, as far as I know right now, there's still a, a unit. I'm not going to say which one, but there's a unit or a group of units in Nevada. It's still 100% draw with zero points, but then there are plenty that have really good draw odds with zero points as well. So archery is a good way to get a tag quickly and not have to wait a couple years. Um, there's also a ton of opportunity for over-the-counter archery. Um, down here in Arizona. Now the 2023 archery over-the-counter tags in Arizona for non-residents have sold out, but if you're an Arizona resident, you could still go and buy those um, over-the-counter. So there's no draw on there. You just go and buy those. And then if you're a non-resident, like I said, the ones for 2023 have sold out, but going forward into future years, something to look for. Um, make sure you get that tag if that's something you want to get. Now, archery is a little bit harder to fill the tag. Getting close to an animal within effective bow range. If you're a new archery shooter, I would probably say you're probably at the very most 60, but you're probably closer to that 40-yard max on there. Getting to 40 yards on any animal, I don't care what it is, an elk, a deer, an antelope, I don't care if it's a buck, a doe, a bull, a cow, whatever. It's usually very, very hard to do. Um, it can be done. I've done it. There are plenty of people that go out there, even on their first time archery hunting, go out there and do it. So it can be done. Don't let that dissuade you from doing it, but just kind of be prepared for archery that it may take quite a few years to get that success, to even get close to an animal. Now, if you're going out on your first ever hunt and it's an archery hunt, just take the opportunity to get a stock and getting somewhat close. Maybe that's getting to less than a hundred yards. Um, or maybe, you know, that's just getting into bow range on an animal. Take that as a success um, because that is very, very hard to do in its own. Um, and then archery hunts are usually going to be earlier in the season. Most archery deer hunts, archery antelope hunts are anywhere through that like August time frame. I believe there's even a few that start, you know, in July in some states, but most of them are that kind of August time frame all the way through September. There are some late ones that go, you know, October, November, December. But those are kind of the anomalies, unless you're talking Arizona over the counter, um, which kind of the big kind of draw to the Arizona over the counter is December and January. But if we're talking most draw tags, that's going to be sometime through in August through September, depending on the species. Um, and the plus side to that is usually you're getting some pretty good weather. Um, it's either it's either going to be really good weather or it's going to be pretty warm, um, especially if you're you know kind of like on a low country deer hunt or an antelope hunt or something like that it's going to be pretty hot but the plus side of that is is early season gear is usually quite a bit cheaper than late season gear you don't have to spend a ton of money on puffy jackets or puffy pants or insulated boots or anything like that 
Um, honestly, some of my favorite early season hunting gear are like $30 shirts, um, things like that. Um, some of my favorite early season pants are like the Wrangler outdoor pants that aren't super expensive at all. Um, depending on the terrain and all that, you might not need waterproof boots. You can, if it's an antelope hunt, you might be able to get by in a set of tennis shoes if that's all you got. Um, but early season hunts usually means it's a lot nicer temps. You don't have to spend a lot of money on that late season gear. Now that's not saying it can't get cold. Um, especially if you get, you know, kind of late August, you know, down into September, late September. Um, especially if you're going to be hunting the high country, things like that, it can get very cold, especially at nights. And then those early mornings getting up early to go in glass. So I'm not saying don't spend some money on some late season gear or some cold weather gear, but you don't have to go all out if, you know, if you were doing kind of like a, a November, you know, October, November, December muzzleloader or rifle hunt. So that's kind of the plus to archery, but keep in mind that archery does take the most amount of practice and is probably the most difficult to actually fill the tag. So now going into muzzleloader, muzzleloader is not something I have a ton of experience with. I've never shot a muzzleloader. I've never been on a muzzleloader hunt, but this is just kind of the brief knowledge that I have on it. Um, and just kind of my opinions on it, but we're going to kind of glance over this real quick and then we'll get into rifle that I have some experience in. Um, muzzle loader does take practice. Um, but I would say probably not as much practice as a bow considering shooting a muzzle loader is a little bit more similar to a rifle. Um, now the complicated part for it can be actually loading that muzzle loader, um, and then having to use open sights versus a scope on a rifle, depending on your state's. There are some states out there that allow a scope on a muzzle loader, um, but that's becoming less and less. More states are kind of reeling that back, going to keeping it a little bit more traditional with the muzzle loader and the open sights. Um, so if you're new, new to guns, new to things like that, loading a muzzle loader can be a little bit difficult for you on some of them. There are some that load pretty similar to a rifle or bolt action rifle, but that can be a complication for a newer hunter. Um, muzzle loader tags typically, typically aren't as easy to draw. Um, now I'm, they can be found out there. I'm sure there are people that draw muzzle loader tags every year, especially in their home state. So I'm not saying muzzle loader tags are ex always extremely hard to draw, but they are usually a little bit hard to draw and there's not much over the counter opportunity out there. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm not saying there aren't any out there because I'm sure there are, but I can't think of any over-the-counter muzzleloader tags off the top of my head right now. Um, and then actually filling that tag, it can be just as hard as archery, depending on your skill level and the type of muzzleloader you have. Um, there are some muzzleloaders out there, and the, with the shooter behind them, you almost have to get into archery range, or at least kind of that 150, 100 yards or less. Um, so they can be just as hard. Now, there are some muzzleloaders that I've seen that are extremely accurate out to that three, 400 yard mark, just like most hunting rifles out there. So depending on your setup and all that and your skill level, it can be just as hard to fill as archery. Um, and then once you're getting into some of those muzzleloader tags, you are getting into the later seasons. Usually, usually the muzzleloader seasons come after archery. So you're getting into some of those colder temperatures, um, depending on, you know, some States are getting into very, very cold temperatures. So you do have to spend a little bit more money on some good, you know, late season gear, jackets, pants, insulated boots, socks, all that stuff. Um, so something to think about there if you're, you know, thinking about getting into muzzle loader hunting. Um, now, going into rifle hunting. 
Um, rifle hunting requires the least amount of practice to be, I would say, ethically accurate out to, you know, within close range, probably that 200 yards and in, 300 yards and in, maybe 400. Um, I'm not saying don't practice. I always recommend practice as much as possible. But I would say most people out there, I could hand them a rifle that I know is zeroed. And as long as they know how to shoot a rifle, they've done it a few times and all that, they understand the kind of the fundamentals of marksmanship, the basic fundamentals, they can hit a target, um, you know, kind of that 400 yards and in. But in my experience, most Western hunts, some of them, you kind of got to push the limit on the range a little bit. I mean, I shot my cow elk this year at 656 yards. I know some people that have taken shots seven, 800 yards. Um, I'm not recommending those shots for everybody, but I'm not, you know, against those shots if that's within somebody's skill level. So practice as much as you can because you don't want to be stuck in a situation where an elk is at 500 yards or 600 yards and you don't feel comfortable past 300 yards. Um, now, if you have limitations on your rifle, if maybe you're only shooting, you know, a little 308 or something like that, yeah, you probably don't want to be reaching out, you know, six, seven, 800 yards on it. Um, if you're shooting a 300 wind mag, it's a little bit different story. Um, but just kind of understanding the limitations on your rifle and more important than the limitations on yourself. Um, so understanding that. But rifles are pretty good for beginners because they are simple to shoot. Like I said, I can hand a zeroed rifle to most people. And as long as they put some time behind it um, and understand the fundamentals of marksmanship, they can you know make that shot and hit a target. So the archer tags... They're a little bit easier to fill, and they're good for beginners. Um, getting within rifle range of an animal, if we're talking 400 yards, it's not easy, but it's not extremely hard either. Um, as long as you play the wind right, you're quiet, you're smart about what you're doing, getting into rifle range on most animals isn't incredibly hard. Um, now, as far as getting that tag, getting a rifle tag, if you're not waiting for the best hunts out there, the best units, things like that, you can get a tag every year for rifle. Um, now, it may not always be a buck deer or a bull tag or something like that, but you can find doe tags or cow elk tags. Um, I've drawn you know multiple cow elk tags in Nevada um, with very little points. There's also a pretty good amount of over-the-counter opportunity for it. Um, Colorado has some good over-the-counter elk tags, but there's also plenty of states out there if you're willing to cross those state lines that have very easy to draw rifle tags. We're talking, you know, zero points in some states and some states don't even have a point system. So you're all on the same playing field. Um, but there are, there is a lot of opportunity out there. Now, again, same as muzzleloader, you're getting into those colder temperatures with most rifle hunts, you know. Rifle hunts typically come after muzzleloader hunts, so we're getting even later, kind of in that, you know, late October into November, December time frame for most of those hunts. So we are getting into very cold temperatures on most hunts. Um, now, there are still some out there. My Kellogg tag this year was earlier in the year, so it still had really good temps. I was at the end of September, so we still had really good temperatures there in Nevada. But once you get into most traditional rifle seasons, um, you are talking later in the year. So again, invest some money in some good cold temperature gear. So if budget is, is a concern, you know, might be something to think about there as far as investing in that late season gear. All right, so let's say you've decided on what weapon you want to use, um, whether that be a bow, a rifle, muzzleloader, 
or any other legal weapon that's legal in your state to hunt with. But so now we kind of got to decide on what animal we want to think about going on our first hunt with or, you know, one of our first hunts with. So kind of the big three for Western hunts are going to be antelope, elk, and deer. I know there's plenty of others out there. You know, there's bear, there's things like that. If you go up to Alaska, you have moose and all that stuff. But most people, when they're thinking Western hunting, the first three that come to mind are antelope, elk, and deer. So let's go into antelope first. Again, antelope is not something I have experience with hunting myself, but I have a lot of people that I've talked to that have hunt antelope and all that. So we're just going to breeze over that stuff, and then we'll get into the elk and deer that I have a little bit more, a little bit more experience with. Um, from everything I've heard, and then all the antelope I've seen out hunting other things, antelope are pretty easy to find. Um, as long as you're kind of in that right type of country, you're not going to find antelope up in the high country. But if you're in antelope country, finding antelope are pretty easy to find because typically they're in very large groups. So they're not hard to find. And the colors on them, they kind of stand out. They have big white butts. They're typically orange-ish. They have an orangish hue on their fur. So they're not too hard to find, especially when they're in those big groups. Um, and another thing with that is you're going to get a ton of opportunity on an antelope hunt. Um, they're kind of everywhere. They, I mean, if you if you've ever driven across antelope country, um, just think about how often you've seen antelope along the way. Kind of how you know how little time there is between groups of antelope. Um, so you're going to get a lot of opportunity. Now, antelope tags are usually pretty hard to draw, especially if we're talking a buck antelope tag. Um, so especially if we're talking, especially if we're talking rifle, so antelope tags can be a little bit harder to draw. Now there are some easier to draw tags out there that you can draw almost with zero points in sub states. Now you have to keep in mind with that, that a lot of easy to draw antelope tags usually require access to private land. That's kind of why they're harder to draw. There's not much public land in those units. And if there is public land, it usually doesn't offer too much good hunting. So there's not very many people applying for those units unless they have access to private land. So something to think about. If you have access to private land, awesome. And then there are some other easier to draw antelope tags. Um, I know Montana has some that are pretty easy to draw, Wyoming and all that. You just kind of got to look at, you know, look at the opportunity out there. If you're willing to travel to those states, if you don't live there already. Um, and then kind of what you're looking at there, some of those easier to draw tags. And this kind of goes for all the species. Easier to draw tags typically aren't as good of tags, whether it be less trophy potential, less population, or whatever the case may be. So just something to think about. And then antelope, if you decided that you want to hunt with a bow, antelope are very hard to hunt with a bow unless you're planning on just sitting water. Um, and again, that's sitting water is hard for a different reason. For me, it's just a mental game of having to sit there all day, especially when you don't get things come in. Um, now, if you're having antelope come in all day, a little bit different story. It might not be as boring, um, but sitting over water is more of a mental game. Now, spot and stock antelope is very, very hard with a bow. Getting into bow range on an antelope can be very, very difficult. Um, so kind of going through the antelope, now we're going to get into elk. Um, elk are my personal favorite to hunt. Um, I love hunting elk. They're my favorite animal out there to hunt. But so elk, in my opinion, are going to be the easiest to hunt. I'm not saying elk is easy to hunt by any means. But of the three that we are talking about, 
elk are the easiest in my opinion. And I'm going to kind of go into my reasons why. If you're in elk country, elk are very, very easy to find. You're basically looking for a big yellow school bus on four legs. They're not hard to find at all. You can almost find them without binoculars as long as you're looking at some country that's close enough for that. Um, so elk are very easy to find. And if you're hunting them in the rut, we're talking, you know, anytime in September and all that, and even sometimes into October, they're going to be screaming their heads off. So if you can't see them, you'll probably end up hearing them too. Um, now, as far as actually stalking an elk, in my opinion, elk are some of the easiest to get into range of. They seem to be, they seem to want to stand their ground a little bit more. Um, as opposed to just getting up and running as soon as something doesn't feel right. Um, now, I'm not saying you they're easy to stalk by any means, but they're easier to stalk than deer or antelope, in my opinion, especially if we're talking a bow. Um, and if we're talking bow hunting elk, it's kind of a whole different ballgame. A lot of times you're talking more calling than you are actual spot and stalk. Um, but you can kind of go both ways with different tactics on there with deer. So, or excuse me, with elk. So, in my opinion, elk are some of the easiest to get close to. And if you're with a rifle, they're pretty much very easy to get close to. Get within that 400-yard range. Like I said, as long as you're playing the wind right um, and are somewhat smart about it. And you're not just running straight at them. Um, as far as getting tags for elk, um, drawing a bull tag is usually pretty difficult, even for a resident. Be prepared to wait quite a bit um, for that. You also got to pay attention to the state. Some states have a wait period for elk. In Nevada, if you draw a bull elk tag, it doesn't matter if you kill, the, kill an elk or not. You're going to wait another seven years before you can even start applying for elk again. So something to think about. Um, cow tags are significantly easier to draw. Like I said, I've drawn two of them in Nevada with very little points. Um, there are a lot of other states out there that have Almost 100% odds, even for non-residents, on cow tags. Um, and then over-the-counter opportunity. Colorado has a lot of over-the-counter opportunity for elk. You know, even for rifle. Um, they have over-the-counter elk rifle tags. Obviously, Colorado's kind of bread and butter is the over-the-counter archery elk tag. So, something to think about there if you're thinking about elk hunting. There is opportunity out there, but if you want to wait. But if you're looking for a hunt in a unit with giant bulls, a lot of times you're going to wait a little bit for a bull elk tag. All right, so now going into deer. Deer are some of the easiest to get tags for. Um, in most states, if you're a resident, you could pretty much draw a deer tag every year unless you're waiting for like a really good rifle tag that's in the rut um, or in a really good unit, even some archery tags for waiting for kind of one of those top, top three, top five units in that state. You're going to wait a while. but there's usually in every state a tag you can draw with zero points. Um, even if it's still a draw system, you can draw it with zero points in that state. Nevada has quite a few, or at least Nevada as of now, the last time I checked, Nevada has one for residents that's still 100% draw with zero points. But there are many other units that I know people draw every year with zero points. Um, so if you have a little bit of luck, you can get a tag with zero points every year. Um, again, Arizona has over-the-counter deer. Now, like I said, the 2023 tags for non-residents have sold out already. Um, but if you're a resident, you can still go and buy your over-the-counter deer tag for next year. That gives you a ton of opportunity for hunting archery 
excuse me, it gives you a ton of opportunity for hunting archery deer. Um, in January, August, and December, you just got to check the quotas on that, make sure you can still get out and hunt that unit. Um, Colorado, I know, going back to states that have easy tags to draw, Colorado, drawing a second or third season tag, now it's not as coveted as a tag as the Colorado four season. That's what everybody wants is a Colorado four season deer tag because um, that's when you're kind of getting into that rut. But second and third season, a little bit earlier dates, um, can be a little bit harder to find the deer in that time because they're kind of pre-rut. Finding bucks in that pre-rut time is a little bit difficult, but it can certainly be done. Um, so getting a Colorado second or third season deer tag, you can find it with zero points, and you can also find it with zero points if you do it on the second choice. Um, and I'm not going to get too big into you know how the Colorado draw system works, but basically there's a way of earning a point and drawing a tag at the same time in Colorado. Um, at least the last time I checked, unless that's changed within the last few weeks or so. But you can get a second, third season tag fairly easily. Now deer, in my opinion, going into actually hunting them are going to be some of the hardest to find, especially if you're looking for mature bucks. Um, finding a mature mule deer is very, very hard to do. Um, finding any mature animal is hard to do, but just finding mature deer it's hard to do. One of the biggest reasons for that is they don't typically herd up as much as, you know, antelope and elk do. Um, now, you can find them herded up if you're talking, you know, August archery deer. You're typically going to find those bachelor groups of bucks where it's just a few bucks in there. No does typically. Um, and then once you get into, you know, kind of that November time frame, you're dealing with the mule deer rut in most states. So you'll find those groups of does that will have a buck or two with them. But. If we're talking kind of those easier to draw rifle tags or muzzle tags, archery tags, um, I guess not archery because those are typically in August, but those are easier to draw rifle tags are usually in that October time frame. So we're talking pre-rut. Those bucks in pre-rut are off solo typically, especially the mature deer. And then where you find those deer is usually in some really rugged country. Now I'm not saying elk isn't in rugged country as well, but especially if we're talking, you know, Early season archery deer, um, at least how I like to hunt them, is in the high country, which is very rugged country. Usually you're talking that nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet plus. Usually you're going to be back there a few miles, so you're dealing with some elevation and all that. Um, or they're going to be kind of be down low in the flats and stuff like that, which adds some challenges there, both with some hot temperatures and just lack of topography. But it's not as rugged country. Then once you get into that late season, Finding them in October and November, mule deer can lead you to some very rugged country. I'm not saying they're always like that, um, but typically from what I've seen, finding a mature buck or finding any buck kind of puts you into that little bit more rugged country. Um, again, elk can get you there too, but it seems like deer get you there a little bit more often. All right, so now let's kind of talk about drawing a tag. So let's say we've decided on what weapon we want to use. We've decided on what species we kind of want to really aim for now i'd still recommend kind of applying for everything you can but let's kind of talk about what species we want to aim for now so start looking at the opportunities in your state um again a lot of states have over-the-counter options if you're a resident there's usually in every state there's going to be opportunity for you um whether it be a tag that you can draw with zero points um or something like that usually there's quite a few benefits for residents in your state um, but don't be afraid to cross state lines there's tons of opportunity if you want to go out of state 
Like I said, Arizona has over-the-counter archery deer. Colorado has over-the-counter elk, both for bow and rifle. Um, they might have muzzleloader, but I'm not 100% positive on that, and I've never heard of anybody doing an over-the-counter muzzleloader hunt in Colorado. But they might have that as well. Um, there's also a lot of other states that have some over-the-counter opportunities and just very easy to draw tags for non-residents. So something to think about there. And then understanding how your draw system works or how the draw system works in the states you're looking for, whether it be a bonus point system, a preference point system, or no points at all like Idaho or New Mexico. I'm not going to go into the difference of bonus points, preference points, and how those all work. Um, I'll go into all that on a later podcast, hopefully with somebody who understands it a little bit better than I do. But kind of understand how your draw system works and then know the deadlines and don't wait until the last day. I've heard plenty of stories of people waiting until the last day and even the last hour or last 30 minutes to get in their draw application. And there are so many people trying to do that that the website crashes and they can't get in their um, draw applications. So know the deadline. Don't wait until the last day. And don't be the guy that misses the deadline. If you're that guy, you're going to be made fun of in your friend group. Know the deadline. Don't miss the deadline. Another reason for that is make sure you know the deadline so you have plenty of time to do the research for it. You don't want to be doing all your research and coming up with, you know, making quick decisions on, you know, within the last hours of the draw application opening. Um, so do your research. Research the public versus the private land percentages in the units that are, that are ones you're thinking of. Um, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, e some easier to draw tags are easy to draw for a reason, and that reason is because they require access to private land to actually be able to effectively hunt that unit. So pay attention to how much public versus private land there is and the access to that public land if it is there. Um, and then the harvest success on it. Again, some easier to draw tags. They're easy to draw for a reason because there aren't very many animals in there. Not saying people don't kill them, but understand the harvest success. Look at that. There are plenty of opportunities out there that have very high harvest success rates. So you don't want to go out there and be applying for the same unit every few years and wondering why you're not seeing any animals or not killing anything and you're talking to a whole bunch of other people and they're not seeing anything. That unit you're applying for, if you haven't done the research, it may have a super low harvest success. Um, but you also got to understand what is a high harvest success for that hunt. If it's an archery mule deer hunt, it's going to have a lower success rate than a rifle elk hunt. So understand what is a high success rate for the type of hunt you're doing. Um, and then something else you could research is trophy potential. If you're a first-time hunter, I probably wouldn't worry too much about that. I'd worry more about the other two. And then you could also add in kind of that buck-to-doe ratio into the things you should be researching. And trophy potential, I would kind of put towards the bottom. Um, now, I know some people might get upset and say you should always you know, be trying to kill the most mature animal. I completely agree. But if you're a new hunter, don't worry too much about that. Just go out there, shoot what makes you happy. Just killing something is going to be an accomplishment of his own. I don't care if it's a spike. I don't care if it's a doe, as long as it's a doe tag. Um, just get out there and shoot what makes you happy. And that could be said for anybody. Um, I don't care if you're 30, been hunting for 30 years. Yeah, I can understand the argument that at that point you should probably, especially if you've killed a ton of things, maybe start trying to, you know, challenge yourself a little bit more and get out there and try to harvest just mature animals. Um, 
that's kind of how I feel about it. But I'm also not going to talk bad about somebody that, you know, is completely happy going out there and shooting a spike or a little two by two or whatever on opening day. If that's your thing, if that's what makes you happy, go for it. Um, and then another thing when we're kind of talking about drawing tags is use your resources. Um, go hunt is my personal favorite. Now, completely honest, I used to work for go hunt. I don't work for them anymore. Um, but even, even now I don't work for go hunt. I still pay for a go hunt membership full price on my own because I believe in the product that much. Um, and you get a ton of information with that. All the stuff I just talked about as far as researching the units. Then you also get their mapping system as well, which I believe is probably the best mapping system out there right now. But this isn't an ad for Go Hunt. So going into other things, the info that Go Hunt produces, if you are willing to put the work in, and I mean hours and hours, if not days and months of work to find the information that they put out there in the most accurate way that they provide it, it is out there if you're willing to do the research. Um, and the state does provide a lot of public information out there that can be used. But just use your resources, whether that be talking to, you know, mentors out there, people that, you know, you know that hunt, talk to them. But just use your resources. Use everything you can. Um, I typically recommend to stay away from most forums, but you can find some good information out there as long as you, you know, are looking in the right place and listening to the right people. All right, so let's say you drew a tag. Now what do you do? If you aren't super concerned about looking for the DIY experience and you have the funds, I don't see any problem with hiring a guide. Um, you're going to get out there. You're going to have a, more than likely, if you hired a good guide, you're going to have a successful hunt. It's not going to last too incredibly long. Um, I mean, unless you're doing like some super hard backcountry hunt. But there's nothing wrong with hiring a guide. Like I said, you're more than likely going to have a successful hunt. They're going to take care of most of the groundwork for you, and you can just kind of sit back and learn from people who are basically professional hunters. Now, I understand most people kind of getting into hunting now. The big thing is that DIY thing, so learning how to do all that. Um, if you're going to do the DIY, do lots and lots of scouting. E-scouting is a great tool. Use those online mapping systems, whether it be something like Onyx, Go Hunt, Basemap, or even just using Google Earth. Um, Tons of good options out there for e-scouting, but e-scouting will never come close to being actually in the field. Get out there in the field and make sure the animals are actually where you think they're going to be based off the online maps. Um, and then seeing, you know, there might be a road that's on a map, and it's happened to me plenty of times. You see a marked road on a map, and you get there, and it's not possible for you to drive a truck down there. Um, so just get out there, understanding where certain roads go, how to access certain pieces of land, and making sure that the animals are where you think they are um, based off the time of year you're hunting and the research you've done online. And then going into the same thing, do the research. Don't be afraid to ask questions as long as you're not looking for all the answers. Don't be the guy that goes onto an online forum or a Facebook group or something like that and says, where exactly are the deer in this unit during this time of year? You're going to get laughed at. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. But if you're willing to put in the work, and you tell people, hey, I've been all over. I've done this research. I've done that. What's your opinion on this place? What's your opinion on that place? Personally, I don't see any problem doing that. If it's something I have knowledge in, I'll give you an answer on it. But there are still people out there that don't like that. So be prepared for a little bit of pushback on that if you're out there asking questions on online forums. 
But like I said, don't be the one asking for all the answers. Make sure you get out there and do some of the work yourself. So now let's talk about what we're going to do on the hunt. So I guess this isn't so much on the hunt, what you should have done beforehand, but making sure you have good gear in the important places. So I'm talking like your boots and socks set up, your clothing set up, your pack, um, optics to a certain extent. Having good gear, especially good boots, is super important. If you go out there with cheap boots and wreck your feet on the first day, you're going to have a problem. Um, and socks go with that. If you take an expensive boot, put on a cheap sock, you're going to have a problem. Um, a pack, I think having a good pack is very important, especially if you're going a distance in um, and you plan on carrying meat out, having something with some sort of frame that you can carry. A heavy load is important, and then it's also just important for comfortability. Same thing with boots can be applied to packs. If you go out there and completely wreck your back on the first day, it's going to make for a long hunt. Um, so I think a pack is something to spend a little bit of money on for sure. And then optics, I'm not saying you have to go out there and buy the most expensive Swarovski, Leica, Zeiss, whatever. Um, I've hunted many times and I still continue to hunt with some Vortex Diamondbacks. Um, they're like 250, 300 bucks for them. Um, you don't have to spend a ton of money or spend any money on a spotting scope, especially if you're a new hunter. I would say I rarely ever use a spotting scope. And if I do, it's really just to get phone scope footage, but get some binoculars and a good tripod and go out there and do all your glassing with that. Um, so that's kind of what I recommend as far as optics. And then make sure you have a range finder that's capable of ranging out to the distances you need to. If you're going out rifle hunting, don't buy something that's going to kind of max out and be a little iffy, you know, past you know 500 yards or so i've done that before kind of sucks um so if you're going out there rifle hunting make sure you have something that ranges pretty good out to a thousand yards plus even if you're not going to take that shot but something that ranges enough distance for you and what you're doing um and then kind of going back to binoculars like i said those vortex diamondbacks don't go to walmart and buy a 50 dollars set of binoculars and expect those to work for you that you're gonna have some issues with those but you don't have to spend $3,000 on a set of binoculars. Now, when you're on the hunt, make sure you have multiple plans. And this goes into all of your preseason scouting and e-scouting. Have multiple plans. Don't have everything relying on one spot because what's going to happen is you're going to get there on opening day. There's going to be four other trucks parked at the trailhead that have beaten you there and they're already all the way up the mountain. When that happens, you want to have more spots. Don't panic. Don't start hiking up there with the four other people. Because um, that's just going to cause more problems and you're probably not going to see animals because there's so many people up there. So have backup spots, have an ABCD plan um, and be willing to adjust to those spots quickly. Um, and then, you know, the next morning, go back to your A spot and get there an hour before everybody else. Um, it's public land. If somebody beats you there, all well. If you beat them there, congratulations. So, but have multiple plans and be willing to adjust quickly. Um, and then when you're picking a spot, don't camp on top of your hunting spot. I've seen it many times. People camp in the middle of the same basin they're hunting. You're going to blow out that basin within the first day, and you're not going to see animals there. So camp close enough, whether you're backpacking in and camping out of a tent or if you're camping at a base camp or whatever the case may be. Don't camp directly in your hunting spot. Camp close enough that you can get there relatively quickly, quickly in the morning but not so far away that it takes you a crazy amount of time to get there. Um, and then when you're actually out hunting, do more glassing than hiking. This is a mistake that I personally made. 
my first hunt, I would literally get up in the morning, get out of my tent, grab my bow, and I just started walking. We just kind of walked around the mountains all day, and we would throw up the binoculars every time, you know, every little bit or so, kind of glass this mountain range for, you know, a minute or so, and then keep walking and all that. And we never saw a single deer the whole trip. So, and that's definitely why. So spend more time glassing than hiking. Get up in the morning, get to your glassing spot as quick as you can, and glass there for hours and hours. And then, you know, if you want to, go back to camp during the middle of the day and then go back out and glass in the evening. But don't be hiking around literally all day. And that is from my personal experience. I made that mistake, and I've seen many others make that mistake. So do more glassing than hiking. Now, let's say you found an animal and you're planning a stock. Be patient on a stock. You don't have to rush things. Um, as long as the animal's not on edge, the animal's more than likely not going anywhere. Now, I just said be patient, but on the other side, you also have to know when to be aggressive. And when it comes to stalking, this is something that takes a long, long time to master, and it's something I'm still learning, especially if we're talking archery. Um, but just some, like I said, quick tips. Just be patient, but also understand when to be aggressive. Watch that animal, understand its body language, if its ears are up, if they're down, if it's feeding, if it's staring at you, if it's on edge, things like that. Just pay attention to the animal's body language um, and be patient, but also be willing to get aggressive. Now, let's say that you managed to pull off a successful stock. You got that animal on the ground. You know, one, if you shoot an animal and you see it run off, whether it be a rifle, a bow, muzzle it, or whatever you shot it with, and you didn't see it fall right there and you can't see it laying dead, give it time. Give it a little bit more time than you need. If you know for sure you made a really good shot, still give it, you know, 30 minutes, an hour or so. If you gave it a bad shot, give it, you know, give it all day. If you need to, leave it overnight as long as, you know, especially if the weather is cool enough for that. But let's say you got your animal on the ground. You get up to it. Be prepared to know how to process an animal, um, know how to field dress, know how to do the gutless method if that's what you want to do. If you want to save a cape, know how to do that. If you want to save a skull, know how to do that. Be prepared for all of that. There's tons of good information out there on YouTube. And once you start doing it, once you start cutting into an animal, you know, you make that cut up the back of the spine, you start working those quarters off, the front quarter falls off very easily. The rear quarter, you just kind of follow that joint around. Once you start doing all that, you can kind of just follow the muscle lines, and it'll lead you how to do that. It'll almost show you exactly where you need to cut to do that. But just kind of know what you're getting into with that, and then take your time. Um, you know, as long as the meat's cool, the temperature's relatively cool, um, take your time on it. Uh, you know, even you listen to, you know, hunters that have been hunting for a long time. I think it was Ryan Callahan on one of the Meat Eater episodes. You know, he said, processing an animal is something that I've actually gotten slower at the more I've been hunting. Um, so just take your time on it. You don't want to mess things up. You know, the meat, that's what you came out there for, the meat and the antlers. So take your time on it. You know, do it justice. Make sure you get everything out the right way. Um, but also be prepared to walk away from that hunt with nothing. You know, it took me a very, you know, three years or so before I was able to kill something. Um and then, you know, even after I killed that first one, I still have gone, you know, years in a row without killing something. Um, so just be prepared to walk away with nothing, you know, even for a few years in a row. 
you know, it may take you, you know, three, four, five years to actually kill something, depending on the hunt you're doing um, and the type of weapon you chose. But there are also plenty of people out there that go out there and kill something on their first time. So don't let that discourage you from actually getting out there and doing it. But just understand that even for very experienced hunters, there's still a really good chance that we walk away with nothing. You know, for a lot of hunts, a high harvest success rate on most hunts is, you know, still less than 50% most of the time. So just something to think about there that hunting is not a given. But so hopefully that kind of gave you guys all something to think about. You know, just kind of, gave, you know, just a real brief cliff notes of hunting 101. Um, again, didn't go super in-depth on anything. But, you know, this is not an official series, but kind of the start of, you know, podcasts down the road. Like I said, we're getting into that time of year where you need to start thinking about, you know, the type of hunts you want to do and start planning for next year. Even if you've been hunting for, you know, 50 years, now is the time of year to start planning for planning for next hunting season. We're getting close to application season and all that. Like I said, I have some podcasts planned down the road, you know, going in depth on hunting gear or draw applications, things like that. So, and then that, you know, over the course of next year, hopefully we'll get some podcasts that, you know, specialize in mule deer or elk, antelope hunting, things like that. So, but hopefully this got you guys thinking. Hopefully we grazed the surface a little bit here, answered some questions for you, for anybody that's, you know, hasn't been hunting before and wants to do that next year. But again, I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys next time. All right, guys. Thank you guys for listening to the Barely Backcountry podcast. Again, if you guys want to check out the podcast on social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. And then my personal is Dillashaw. I hope you guys enjoyed. Hopefully we can get all the technical problems under order this week and I can get some more guests on for you. Um, but if you guys want, hit me up on social media. Let me know some topics that you think I might be able to cover solo um, or any questions. If I get enough questions built up, maybe we can do a Q&A episode at some point. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed and I will see you guys next time.